Hey there, this week marks the 20th anniversary of the release of David Lynch's surrealist neo-noir film, Mulholland Drive. And oh boy, it's got it all. Nightmare dumpster trolls, a murder mystery, a pretty hot sex scene, and a crazy dream theater performance of Roy Orbison in Espanol. Yeah, yeah, I hated it. Yeah, of course you did. And if I recall correctly, we kind of get into that in a conversation about what it exactly is about Lynch's style that rubs you the wrong way. So this is a great podcast if you're a gym historian attempting to pin down his aesthetic preferences. Why would those exist? I don't know. Uh, You seem to get a lot out of it. So this is far from a hater podcast. Yeah, it's very weird. And in other words, very David Lynchian movie. But but I dug it a lot. Not only is this a 20th anniversary of Mulholland Drive, it's also been exactly five years and one month since we released this podcast. So to celebrate the anniversary, boost visibility, and give our fans who have joined in the meantime an easy way to find it, here's a re-release of the pod. Hope you enjoy it. Happy Mulholland Drive Day, everybody. Hey everybody, we're back with another commission podcast. Uh, this is a community commission, which means a, a bunch of uh, bald movers got together on our shop and commissioned a podcast. By the way, a lot, I get a lot of interest in how to commission a podcast. Super easy. Go to baldmove.com slash shop, click on the big film canister looking thing, and then a wonderland of options will, will appear. Uh, this in particular, they wanted us to talk about the... Uh, what year is this movie made in? Nine, 2000 something 2001 2001 uh, Mulholland Drive a David Lynch classic uh, like this is widely considered his best work first things first credit given where credit is due these are the people that came together and uh, uh, pooled their resources to commission this fine podcast Anthony B Mike T Davey Mack Ryan Q Rachel H Galicia 73 Fido's Jefferson B, Hello Goodbye 9, Coco 2 MC, hmm. Martin K, Michael T, Joby M, Walker W. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. We couldn't have obviously done this podcast or I wouldn't have seen this movie without you. This, so this has been this is the question that's haunted me since I watched this late Saturday night. What did you think of this film, Jim Jones? <laughs> uh, before I get into what I thought of it. Okay. Are we going to go our backgrounds on on David Lynch? I I think we should do a little bit of that, but I also think I need a disclaimer here. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've seen this movie exactly one time. Okay. Uh, So if you are looking for the definitive, insightful critique or discussion on this film, this is the wrong place for it. Okay. I don't know how many times you've seen it. I think you said you wanted to watch it twice. I saw it twice. You did? I I got up this morning and I watched it after doing about three hours of reading on the topics to see how well this stuff kind of tracked. And I did do a couple of hours of reading myself. I think you kind of have to with this movie um, if you want to really really dig into it um can i I, and i think this podcast can only displease because Mm. having said 
you know, that I've seen it once and I'm not going to be able to dissect it in the way that the real fans of this movie want to hear it dissected. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that will displease them and the people who don't like this movie just won't listen. So right. I, I think this <laughs> or, is a, or it's the classic fool's errand. Yes. I, I think this is a fool's errand, but I, I, I'm going to go ahead and give my opinions on it. Okay. Um, yeah. At some point in this podcast. <laughs> All right. Uh, if I had my druthers, I would have seen this movie once. And never read anything about it and never watched it again. Okay. Because I think it's kind of an amazing first watch of just like, what the hell am I going to see next? And can this kind of barely cling on to to some kind of coherent storytelling? Mm -hmm. And there's at least one moment, uh, the uh, Jorando uh, moment uh, where the the woman sang Roy Orbison's uh, crying in Spanish that I thought was just like, breathtaking in um just just how beautiful it was mm-hmm. uh having said that like i was just you know the when that the movie ended i had no fucking clue what i'd just seen and what was real and what was not real and clearly a lot of the movie wasn't real uh, it took me about like 30 minutes of just sitting there kind of thinking about what i had just seen to really kind of piece anything together, yeah. any kind of semblance of a narrative here. Yeah. Uh, and I think there is one to be had, um, certainly. And especially after reading a bunch of stuff, I feel like I totally get wh- where they're coming from. Yeah. But uh, the thing is, is this film, it's easy. So the main construct, which is, this is a frustrated Hollywood actress's fantasy about how her really dark, depressing life has gone. That she awakens from, like two thirds through the movie, and then we get the 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 real life. What inspired these the the dream and and, and right. what's going on with it? Yeah, um, I think that's pretty uncontroversial. Uh-huh. But then you go on and like you know what does this tell us about being in love? And is this a parable about unreported sexual abuse? And right, uh, is this a talk about drugs and prostitution in Hollywood? Like that's where you start really kind of. Bl- Bar, you, you start. That's that's where it's like completely open to a person's interpretation. Sure, yeah. Because I feel like the first statement that this is a dream with an actress is having with inspired by her real life events. Like that's that seems to be very well supported within a text of movie. All the other stuff, mm-hmm. like you have to ignore bits and pieces to make the other stuff work. And and I'm not even like I I thought Roger Ebert's review is characteristic characteristically <laughs> excellent, and that he said, you know. I've seen the movie. I think this is unlike other mystery movies. And he mentioned Memento, but you could throw in right. uh, what's our favorite whipping boy inception. Uh-huh. You could throw that in there too. Is like, I, there's not really a mystery to solve here. This is a, a modern, this is, this is modern art, right? This and, is a red square on a white canvas. What does it mean to you? And I understand that. I think, so I, I had a pretty visceral negative reaction to this movie. Okay. I I absolutely like. Let's go back for a second. I think I you absolutely were primed for to have that reaction. Uh, certainly, because you've seen hundred so percent. I've you, seen some David Lynch movies. What I've have you seen, seen? Lost Highway, and I've seen Blue Velvet. I turned Blue Velvet off like twenty minutes in. I absolutely hated Blue Velvet. Did you laugh when Roger Ebert said he was willing to overlook? what he considered as experimental <laughs> disasters of movie like right. lost highway lost right? highway was one of them uh, yeah. and he, ma- I he hated lost Blue highway Velvet, too. he mentioned something else uh and he said because this is kind of the first one that like he said that didn't explode the test tubes right so 
<laughs> and I, I sort of agree with him. So I was definitely primed to hate this movie, and I did hate it at first. I, I came away going, "Wow, I hated that thing." Where did you first be like? Because I thought it was actually a. It was I, the second, it, second oh, one, the jet- like the the jitterbug dancing. Okay. I was like, "Fuck this! I don't want to watch this." I okay. wasn't in the headspace for it, <laughs> and eventually, like, it started to win me over a little bit. I got kind of wrapped up in the intrigue of it. Um, I got wrapped up in the mystery of this key in this box. A little bit that that the scene movies. that you mentioned with the the singing at Silencio, yeah. that was fucking beautiful. Right, um, almost regardless like in, of context y- in the movie. Yeah, kind of like uh, some of the scenes in Leftovers we talk about, where it's like it's emotionally true regardless of what right it means in the outside world. And then when they switched, when they they kind of brought me out of the mode of we're going to solve this mystery to oh it's a dream and this was all just in her head and. Mm-hmm. That's when I started to be like, ah, fuck this again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it got so incoherent at that point. Yeah. That like, you don't know when you're seeing what you're seeing. Uh, you don't know how it relates to the dream. Exactly. You don't know who's who. Uh, Did it, you not it think that, any that was cool that it mimics kind of like in, if you wake up from a real life dream, like we've all had the experience where, we mm-hmm. dream it's Christmas morning or some analog of that. And it's so real that we actually ex- at some level, except that we've received whatever gift we had in the dream or some good thing that happened. We graduated a particular school or and our then you dad realize, says, oh, fuck. No, dad said, loved it. And then it's like, oh, wait, that was all the thing that I've had like this, this, this good feeling about is all just a dream. And like kind of reality yeah. resolves in, in like a piecemeal fashion. Sure, sure. But I'm talking about my initial my yeah, yeah. initial watch sure. I, I absolutely hated this stuff okay. um and then you know i sat and i thought about it for a little while and it started to make a little more sense and i pieced together the overall narrative uh-huh. kind of after the fact uh-huh. um and then i went like it, i went and i started reading things and i was uh gratified to see that i had reached a proper conclusion on the basic narrative of it <laughs> right given how piecemeal it was at the end uh but i <laughs> And I have definitely softened on the movie. It's not, I don't hate it. The softening. I, I think it's, <laughs> it's just not for me. Yeah. Is how I would describe it. Like I can see why people would think this is brilliant. I can see why people would enjoy it from an experiential standpoint. Yes. I just don't think that's why I watch movies. Yeah. There's like a, a, a contingent of our fan base that doesn't get the leftovers. And if we sure, would ask yeah. those people, if we commissioned them to do a podcast on the leftovers, it'd probably be a bummer. Right. And I'm I guess I'm I didn't hate the movie because my experience with David Lynch has been mostly positive. Like I enjoyed <laughs> his his Dune movies. They were weird, but like, you know, Frank Herbert's work is very weird. So mm-hmm. like that seemed to complement it. And I'd read and was very familiar with the books. So this was just like a really visionary way to tell that story storytelling or gotcha. way to tell you that knew story. The story i knew the story in. so i was just looking for like i want to see what it's like to ride a fucking worm <laughs> and i want to see what these still suits are all about and i like to see how the weirdling weirding way works and all that stuff so it was you know and i was also young when i saw it and uh it has uh patrick stewart in it so huh okay you have to kind of love it um and I haven't seen any of his like real. I haven't seen Eraserhead, and I haven't seen yeah. whatever the two films that set you off were. Uh, so I was kind of like when I saw the Jitterbug, I'm like, fuck yeah, okay, I am. This doesn't make any goddamn sense. I can't imagine sitting in a theater and being hit with this, and then like uh-huh. so I'm being smothered with a silk pillow. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm I'm in for it. And there was one point where I think I just kind of blacked out. Is when um. 
the 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 Lutz nuts guy from Mad Men uh, goes to the Denny's and says, "I've seen a monster behind here." Oh yeah, yeah. And he goes mm-hmm. behind and actually sees the. Fu- they they set it up almost like a classic horror movie, and then you see the face, and it's kind of shocking. And it's got the cords, and he dies. And he I'm dies, like, he dies. Like, I feel like I missed the next two minutes because I'm sitting there on the couch like, what the fuck did I just see? And ha-? and that's the one thing that's the most inexplicable part of the movie for me. Like, how did this guy's subconscious dreaming get pulled into Naomi Watts's subconscious dreaming? Well, I think it's I think it's somewhat like a blending of the two, like the reality and the dream, right? Like she's I feel like she's subconsciously acknowledging but the he, horrible thing she's done as it leads into this dream that she wishes would happen. Uh, that, like, and, and so this guy, I think, is at the director's party later in the movie where she finds out that her flame is getting married to this guy. He's definitely in the Winkies in quote unquote reality later on. Oh, it's during the during the, the counter as, during the assassination scene. So like this is right. stuff that she this is kind of like. He looks kind of horrified because maybe he's seen this side of her. Like, but you know, by this time Naomi Watts is looking pretty strung out. Uh, and like so, this guy knows what she's done. So this is her dreaming about her, the horrible side of her that she's uncovered. Right. And she, yeah. you know, um, asserts herself or asserts itself right before she commits suicide. It's that seems like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how like, you know, this is a parable of, Hollywood magic going bad? Sure. Yeah, I think this this young girl went out there expecting to be a star and she got passed over by both uh from a star perspective and a love perspective and mm. she made some decisions that she didn't like. Yeah. Uh, and killed herself, yeah. What was up with the old people that tormented her unto death? I felt like those were reminders of I thought I thought those were reminders of the idea her or, or kind of her expectations, yeah, of what she was. The do last in Hollywood. thing they said is, "Oh, can't wait to see you in the big." And she's like, "Oh, yeah, right." And, and how she kind of let everybody down, including herself, and like mm. she was going to have to face the music if she ever, you know, went back to her her real life. Oh, and that's the thing. Like, I she guess I can't. I I don't know. And I, and I even said myself the way you probably see this story is that like this is. Uh, you know, she's slowly waking up for a dream. So there's still some fantastic things in the dream element. But I, I found it very frustrating how well they blended. Like, obviously, her trip to Mulholland Drive, uh, she stops where uh, what's her face got ran off the road, and mm-hmm. Betty, Rita, uh, I, Carmen, Carmilla, whatever her <laughs> name, Carmine, that she, right. she comes and gets her and like takes her to this party. Did that really happen? It can't have. And obviously, the old people coming to her house are figments. Or, I think it are, really did happen. I think the car crash was a thing that did not happen. See, I think that to me, it seems like that car crash that got interrupted, that like. Part of me wants to say that that was really happening. That was like Carmela or whatever her name is. I don't know her name. Cam- I Camilla. Say, Camilla. Yeah. Camilla was going to be killed by those guys and dumped on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. And that the car wreck was, you know, Betty's slash Diane's regret over having the hit put on her lover. Yeah. But then when she actually shows up and stops that spot and the person come, I mean, was that a limo to pick her up and drop her off to swanky? I guess that's what it would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. So I, I think there are, this is the problem of trying to like directly interpret this dream because 
it, it is a blended it, it's sort of a, a stew of reality right like all the, the ingredients are in there but they're just mixed up um in different ways and kind of idealized and uh a lot of the bad things that she's done are just kind of completely washed away um or this is this is her mind trying to assuage her own guilt <laughs> okay so like so so she was going to have her killed uh and she did have her killed in fact later when did on that happen uh i think it happened after well the party. after this party yeah sure um so so the party was kind of the trigger for it right like she she said okay after this party look i've i've been dissed i'm going to go right uh take this hit out on her right and then found out it was done cuz the blue key showed up um but in her dream she's like this is what i wished would have happened like i i'm yes i set up this hit but it didn't go down like something something intervened and it saved Camilla and I was able to help her I was right. kind of her protector and savior and champion instead and of everything jealous. was wonderful and beautiful and right and she fell in love with me even like though her acting life without like with a clean slate she still fell in love with me right that all makes sense um and also that like the movie casting scene where she's imagining the director as being strong-armed by the mob or uh-huh. whatever the hell that assorted weirdo cast was supposed to represent right that, like if if it was a you know maybe she would have got the part if it was a fair thing but it was like it, the fix was in the fix right. was in i couldn't possibly have won like that and that imagining all these bad things happening to adam like he goes into his house and gets, his wife's cheating on him with billy ray billy ray cyrus ray cyrus oh my god uh yeah that was that was pretty hilarious i wish that, i knew where in his career arc he was when david lynch because because i'm trying to think of like if, if, if you hmm. if you're if you're trying to cast like the worst like there's a people like you know if I, I come home and i find cecily in bed with like john ham i'm not even really mad <laughs> like we've just, talked about this if you have a chance to have sex with john ham please take it right tell me all about it <laughs> i come home and she's in the bed with like apologies to our whipping boy like, <laughs> oh, you knew it <laughs> i'm like i'm just confused like I yeah. Did, I, yeah you like sideways that much i i i, I, I don't get it like oh man I, but uh, but Billy Ray Cyrus, like you know, the 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 dumb fuck redneck pool cleaning jackass, like uh-huh. he ju- his face says it all. In fact, you get beat up by him. Yeah. Well, she had an achy breaky heart. What do you want? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I. Right. So he was definitely on a downward trajectory in his career. I would say in 2001. Well, did he have an upward trajectory? Yeah, like achy he, breaky heart was that's it, man. A one, that's the definition of a one-hit wonder. Completely one-hit wonder, yeah. That's like Chubbra Wubbra's tub star, whatever. <laughs> Chupacabra's tub stomping. Like, that's not an uphill career. That's... Right. You got a guy blowing into a jug and playing a washboard, and <laughs> it accidentally blew up because America lost his goddamn mind. I... I, I don't know, but, but I, that happens. I do like the, the Rico Suave has no upward arc in her career, but he did have <laughs> Lou Bega didn't have much of an upward arc. Uh, it, but I, I like the switcheroo of Adam having the relationship problems, right? Like instead of him stealing Camilla away from Diane, it's him having his wife stolen away by the pool boy and his movie. And like, he's a completely right. powerless schlub. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about this this botched hit where it feels like at some point Lynch is like I 
I want this movie to run the gamut of human emotions. I want people to yeah. be titillated. I want people to be sad. I want people to be happy. I want people to be afraid. Mm. People haven't laughed yet. So I'm going to incorporate this, this idea of this guy coming and he's like, like Todd from Breaking Bad. If he ran a, a hitman, some type of hitman organization, what right. does that mean? What is this? What is this? Uh, it means the movie's Betty? too long. It means it means this movie could have been a half hour shorter. You could have taken out a lot of stuff that didn't have directly to do with Diane. Like this, I like, how does this it make is her, her imagination of how the hit went? Really? But but it's a hit on somebody else, right? It's not even. And, and it'd be one thing if the guy was so bad that everyone survived. Like he tra- kept trying to kill, but he was because I'm like, okay, well then there's a little bit of moral cover there because she's like, well maybe. Camilla's not even dead, and in fact, when she wakes up, right. she's like, "Oh, you're back!" and she's so happy. But the way the botched, it, like, it, it goes down, it's just, it's just absurd. It's something out of Cohen Brothers comedy. Yeah, but worse. Cohen Brothers would be, at least be funny. Well, like, and it would also connect with all the other plot plots. Yeah, you didn't find, you didn't think it's, you didn't think this was funny. I didn't think this scene was funny. I did think the scene where the goon goes into Adam's house and beats billy ray cyrus and his wife was mm. pretty hilarious <laughs> get right because i was like yeah, well she's climbing on his back it's not gonna do anything this guy's a mountain mm-hmm. and then billy ray cyrus comes up who you know was seen to intimidate and just toss out adam earlier right thinking he's gonna do something and he just no. one punches him yeah he uh, one punches her too he does i thought that was pretty hilarious I both but yeah of these, this both of, both of those both of these parts of the movie were funny but i wasn't sure how it connected to the main narrative or even the emotional branch of the movie and that's why i say like this i think this hit scene could have been entirely eliminated i don't see any relevance but you think i'm that, sure it's there like i said if he wanted to have like run the gamut of human emotions because it seems like in a lot of interviews that he sees this movie as very lyrical it's like it's all about uh and it leans heavily on music and it's about how you feel you don't question like you're listening to florence the machine's cosmic love what the fuck does that song mean right but you know what it's supposed to feel like you know the emotions it's supposed to generate and like no one expects no one expects like music logic it's funny because dan Harmon, his latest podcast was just complaining about like you know uh music writers get free pass because they can just as long as it rhymes like it doesn't have to make sense and it's got to have a catchy beat and i I mean kind of there's still like so i've i did want to talk about this like music versus film type type of medium difference uh at least personally for me yeah because i come at film from a very different perspective than i come at music from Mm -hmm. because i will i will get emotionally wrapped up in music sure that's not a problem even even music that doesn't have lyrics right i mean the the thing is like when i listen to a classical piece sure it moves me emotionally but it doesn't have any kind of narrative whatsoever it's whatever in my mind like whatever's running through your head when you think you know Right, right. It's almost like a dream state mm-hmm. in, in some ways. Um, but I, I will allow myself to go to that place when I'm listening to music, but not. That's not where I come from when I'm watching film, hmm. and that's why these types of movies don't connect with me. Like, uh, we used to talk all the time about that Quetzalcoatl or whatever it's called, sure. um, Quetzalcoatl, uh-huh. something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, whatever. Think, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's the stop. So that's the stop motion documentary about modern life <laughs> <About>. and nature <laughs> and, and yeah. it was it was cited as like a, a influence on breaking bads like sped up time sequences yeah, yeah. 
uh, we, and we reference it a lot in Breaking Bad and about it and nothing else. And I can't right. pronounce it because it's an unpronounceable word. And that's something that, you know, you're just supposed to feel. You're mm-hmm. not really supposed to understand so much uh, intellectually, which is where I approach movies from. So mm-hmm. something like a primer or an inception is much more interesting to me and very much more engaging. It's almost emotionally. It's almost emotion free. Right, right. I'm looking to be intellectually engaged when I watch a movie, not necessarily emotionally engaged. And, you know, I mean, that's I'm not going to say it's a failing on my part, but no. it's just a difference in where I'm coming from versus where David Lynch is coming from. Yeah. And like I have a I have a a, a, a bias against modern art. Mm-hmm. I've read a lot of stuff and I've seen a lot of documentaries to make me. And I, and I, I guess I appreciate it now. I understand what modern art's trying to do. Right. I still don't like it. Sure. I still want to see the, I, I still like seeing stuff that is carved. A statue is carved to look like a human being. I like seeing uh-huh. painting that is trying to either capture reality or a state of reality. That's, that's better than a picture. Like the way they use light and color to like make us like, you know, it's one thing to take a picture of a sunset, but you can make paint a painting of a sunset. That's even more like a sunset than a fucking static picture is uh-huh. because it captures the feeling of looking at it. But a blue box on a white background or someone splattering a bunch of shit. And one of my good friends is uh, classically trained, whatever that this is probably I'm butchering terms, classically trained, modern impressionist painter okay and like he's got his he's got shit all over his house and i'm just like you know i try to engage him and like okay what are these symbols and how do they dread and it's like you know it's it's like trying to uh you know grab sand in your hands it just all slips away and yeah. i don't get it i don't like it but right. i'm not saying it's not valid or if you like it that you're bad for liking it like right that's exactly how i feel about david Lynch. i feel bummed out that i cannot connect and I think I connected with this movie probably more than you did because I didn't go in thinking right. one way or another about David Lynch. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I was looking forward to some kind of weirdo, bizarre movie. But yeah, I, I, there's still a lot of stuff. Like I, we haven't even gotten through, um, like the blue key and the blue box, the piles yeah. of cash in her purse makes sense because that seems like that's the blood price, right? Right. That's, that's the money she gave to the hitman. It's that's the money from her aunt's inheritance. The, it's the 30 it's, pieces of silver. It's like, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's all. Yeah. Oh, I never th- put, I never. This, I feel like this money was meant to make her She took the last and, of her inheritance yeah. and hired a hitman right. rather than try to go for another couple months of, of being a star. Right. Where else, where else would she have gotten this money from? <laughs> Well, I said only seen the movie twice and I haven't only scratched the surface of it. And I also didn't make a lot of notes. I was just like, I literally yeah. went to bed. It was one o'clock in the morning. I couldn't sleep because I was thinking about this movie. <laughs> I got my phone out and I probably read until about 430 in the morning. Oh, Jesus, man. <laughs> so I, uh, I didn't have a lot of notes. And like, if you want to know about what Mulholland Drive, you just fucking put it into Google. There's no shortage of people that will tell you what is it about. Um, that's how David Lynch turned into David Lynch. <laughs> sure. Stayed up too late one night reading about Talk, movies, talking and, to the Google. Yeah, <laughs> all uh, of a sudden his hair poofed up and his. But what's the blue key like? Even in a real world, when he hands her a blue key, is that to a storage shed that has her body? Is that like? No, no, I don't think the blue key goes like on un- because there's well, a stylized the blue she, key that opens up the right. box that swallows up. Rita, which is the guilt of having put this hit out and, and, her, and right? leads like, her to wake up, I think. But then there's also yeah. a real blue key that the assassin seems to hand her as some kind of 
So I I think obviously this this key does open something somewhere, but I don't think it matters. I don't think you're meant to be asking that question because the assassin laughs it off. Like uh not Rita. Diane asks, "Sure. What what does it open?" And he's like, "That's that's just absolutely the wrong question right. for this moment." Uh-huh. Uh it's not about what it opens. It's about st- what it represents. Is she and- still waking up from the dream at this point? Because that seems like a bizarre, like that is not literally what is happening. Right. I feel like it is, really? but I, I honestly couldn't say in this movie. <sighs> I don't know. Is the Naomi Watts character an unreliable narrator? Like, can we not trust? Because I, because I, to at me, times, the way I interpret sure. it is, the jitterbug thing happened. Mm-hmm. She got sent to Hollywood and she met these two, this, these two guys, these, this older couple that befriended her and she shared the flight in the cab with them. And then she goes hmm. to sl- And then at okay. some point she goes to sleep on this pillow after. I think all of this was dream. I- the jitterbug, I, well, no, because the, the jitterbug, jitterbug is real. Okay, so the, the jitterbug, jitterbug contest because it happened is referenced in both the dream and outside of the dream. But then you immediately go into the dream. Her coming to Los Angeles is all part of the dream, right? But inside, okay. But here's the thing: I think this old I couple think, is related to her, possibly. Uh, but 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 on second watch, I was looking at the faces that like because you never see Naomi Watts dancing, and at first I was like, aha. Uh-huh. But then everyone's clapping, and I think they're even saying Betty or Diane, and there's two other faces with her, and they're the face of the older couple. So I feel like that stuff, and then. Now, the, I, I read an article that said you hear the sounds of people snorting cocaine and then her face collapses into the pillow. Like, okay, maybe sure. I don't snort a bunch of cocaine and then go right to bed. Um, but, you know, maybe that's a reaction one can have. Uh, or it was an overdose and she lived through it. I don't but, know. but I take the time her head hit the pillow to the time she wakes up in the movie later on is that's all the dream and everything after that is post dream or coming out of the dream. And I just can't. Mm-hmm. I can't square it. Um, I also don't. Let's because I, I just got some the like the core scenes here. I want to talk about like the hitman investigating to, to me, the uh, horrors and for this missing. Like I don't know what that means either. So uh, real quick before we move on from like the timeline stuff and the, uh-huh. the dream versus reality stuff, I think the only stuff that is like of the moment that you're seeing that is not flashback or dream um, is when she's sitting on her couch staring at that blue key. Huh. I think. What about when she shoots herself? Is that really happening? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because that okay. all kind of progresses from there, right? All like, right. Like, because I, I think the blue key is the thing that wakes her up from the dream. Okay. I guess, I guess it starts <laughs> there when she wakes up from the dream. But then we see some flashbacks to the party. Uh, then we see her go back to the key. I think she wakes up from the dream, goes into her living room, sits down on that couch, and looks at the blue key her her demons come to haunt her and she kills herself and everything else is either flashback or dream okay all right i might do the third watch just to see if that all tracks <laughs> tracks tracks through that's my guess i mean i've seen it once i don't remember so, the exact time did you read anything about how this movie has a something about sex trafficking or unreported like the fact that naomi the naomi watts character was molested by a grandfather as a child I, maybe, and she got into maybe. prostitution because the one like really chipper prostitute has a passing familiarity to the Naomi Watts character. And when we see her later on, she's like very strung out. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like when the, the cowboy comes in and says like, time to get up, get uh, beautiful. Like that. Some people say that he's a pimp that she got involved in. And she, I mean, 
I I don't know. Some of this stuff sounds good, but it also doesn't have anything to do with what because I keep on going about what did David Lynch say this movie's about? He said it's about a love story. Sure. I agree. Uh, Except for why he also says he's uninterested in explaining the film. So like when he does stuff like David Lynch's top 10 keys to understanding, like, is he fucking with this? Is he like giving seven real suggestions and three ones that have nothing to do with anything else? Did you see that? The 10? I did. Uh, the list seems almost vague enough to be useless. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I like, thought about going over to 10 of them, but I'm like, no, nah, yeah. fuck it. No, because I, I, I feel like that's fool's gold. I mean, I mean, it's essentially like number seven. There's a lamp and cigarettes. Right. Pay attention to there's the lamp a and lamp cigarette. and cigarettes. Yeah. You, yep. You're 100 percent right about that, David Lynch. Right. 100 percent. Right. But then I read this article that connected like, you know, what those events mean and how they're clues right. to when her identities merging. And because uh-huh. that happens, like she switches identities when she like when when Camilla opened. Well, when Rita opens the box, mm-hmm. it seems like Betty shifts to Diane. Rita shifts to Camilla. Yeah. And well, that's it. That's all the shifting. Yeah. Not- and I think that's where the dream starts to evaporate and reality starts to come back into focus. Right. Right. She's waking up. Right. Did you. Oh, God. OK. So the other thing, what about Betty's audition? Not the second one where she shows up and the director's hand is forced and he asked it. She clearly is having a moment with Betty, but he has to pick this other girl because. Uh-huh. Of all the reasons. <laughs> but the first edition where she goes into that older man and the director says, you know, don't act like it's real until it's real. And we've seen her rehearse this with Rita. And it's like, it's just hammy, almost like a soap opera thing. And then she mm-hmm. does it and it's like, holy shit, this is a big budget. But also, like, it's kind of creepy and exploitative. Like, I thought it was going to be like, oh, she's going to freak out because this guy's being so inappropriate and kind of predatory. But right. then they treat the scene as it's, it's, the other way. it's kind of an amazing thing. And it kind of is an amazing thing. But yeah, what does that um, have to do with anything? Unless it's about her abuse as a child. And right. which why should I care about that? Because the, is that some kind of explanation for her behavior or it? Oof. I I don't know how to answer that question, but because that's the thing I'm really like, I want. I think there is a deeper thing to that. And this is part of that, what he's suggesting. And maybe he's like, Hey, I'm just, I'm just throwing some stuff up there and seeing what sticks because it's also just a showcase for why Naomi Watts is a amazing actress too. It, it, I mean, does it have anything to do with the relationship that Diane and Camilla have? I mean, like how does it influence or does it inform her? her interactions i don't because it doesn't seem like this too like this is a reenacting of a very predatory relationship that makes a woman feel terrible about herself whereas the camilla at the camilla and diane relationship seems to be a relationship about like one is experimenting or maybe i don't know but it's there's a there's some i mean this is an age-old story someone gets way too deep in the relationship and feeling where the other person's not. And then it all blows up in their face when you go to define the relationship. I love you. I don't feel like this was fun and a fling, but like love is not anywhere in the, and that's, that's always painful and it sucks. It doesn't always lend up or end up in a a death pact, but uh, (laughs) probably shouldn't if we were all mature people, Uh but that that felt a little bit more like a, a teenage love affair than a, you know, older person preying on a younger person kind of thing. 
Right. Like uh, Camilla doesn't feel like she's got more power in the relationship than Diane does, other than the fact that Diane loves her. No, I mean, it. I, I guess I'm wondering, is there any kind of like, does she have a dysfunctional relationship with love and sex and oh like, well yeah because of if the past events with grandfather. her grandfather right like I and then that that ties in with the old woman saying silencio in the paint in the um in in, in the club silencio like that that mm-hmm. uh, the person was supposed to guard be her guardian is is maintaining the secrecy but that that doesn't track because the silencio doesn't seem like it is about her long in the past trauma with her grandfather. It feels like the club silencio is all about her relationship with Camilla. Right. Right. Which I like, that's the thing that I didn't quite get. If you want to say that, you know, she was abused sexually as a child by her grandfather. Like that seems to track with why, why bring that up in the movie? Unless there's a point to be made about how she's relating to Camilla here which is kind of where I'm trying to take it, but I don't see the pieces fitting and I'm not sure that they do exactly. Maybe David Lynch is saying that in a normal narrative film, like you, it would be a big point that, Oh, she's abused as a child and this is why she's has this relationship where in real world, real life, it doesn't work that way. You're like, you're the stew of human experiences and emotions and upbringing and beliefs and education and whatever. And that's all acting on you all at the same time. But it's mm-hmm. not like, oh, well, when I flung off the handle at my boss, it's because that one teacher made me feel ashamed when I didn't wash my hands in second grade. Or yeah. <laughs> as David, Did- like he's trying to create this thing where it's like, look at all these things that's happened to her or could be happening reasons. And they're not all connected, but it's part of her who she is as a human being. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's a valid way to portray a human. That is certainly true. Uh, of just about everyone, I'd say. Mm. Uh, did you did, during this scene where she's acting with this old guy, Chuck? Yeah. I guess is his name, right? Uh, did you? How did you feel the tone of this scene, the the portrayal of this particular scene went? Like, is is the tone that she's taking in her acting congruent with congruous with the actual message of that scene? Because I found it to You're be right. very much not. It's 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 interesting because like when you see what the deal is, like when she and um, uh, Rita yeah. reenact it, it's this one scene, and when she reenacts it, this it's a different. And also, and again, like I I could be wrong about this. I've only seen the movie twice, um, but my memory is that the who has the power in the relationship shifts two or three times throughout the scene when she acts mm-hmm. it with the, the man. Yeah. And at the end, who is the person holding the power is either of them. Uh, I get, I like, she wants to kill him. I guess it's him. I mean, he says the well, then they'll put you in jail. Right. I mean, I, I guess that's the Trump card. <laughs> like you can't tell because yeah, or you, you can't what, what good is that? That's that's not going to solve any of your problems. This is going to put you. I, I'll be dead, but you'll be in jail. Right. But right. He feels I, it feels like he's slightly intimidated or afraid or is he? I don't know. I don't know because they play it like this. She plays it very alluring and very sexual and very like she she wants to seduce him here. And I don't understand that in the context of what's actually supposed to be going through her head well is and, it and also part of a we, dream, are we supposed so to tell, i don't know and also are we supposed to know that deep down she knows she's not this good of an actress and when she shows up to parts she bought like 
she's afraid to put this stuff like she would be afraid to put her life experiences. If I go with the fact that she was raped by her grandfather, she's a, she's afraid to put those into, uh, her, her craft. So it comes across as like, you know, like, like how she's rehearsing with her girlfriend and came across as like very soap opera, right? Like very forgettable daytime TV. The other one is like, Oh, I could see this being, you know, like some dramatic moment in a, in a real film. And I also, that's, that's a tough thing to do. Write a fake scene that's supposed to be awesome <laughs> and it actually kind of is. Right, right. Like, you know, we talk about that same Mad Men. When you're doing a pitch that's supposed to be a good pitch, it's hard to write a fake pitch that's really good. Mm-hmm. It's hard to write a good, it's hard to write an original song that's supposed to be awesome. Um, I, I, but yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I, I guess that could be, this is all wish still in wish fulfillment. So this is like her wishing she could go and do an audition and just nail it and have everybody think it's awesome. And in fact, she's that got, she's whisked from one awesome audition to another where she would have gotten it. If it wasn't for the goddamn mafia, fuck. Cause like, look at the connection she had with this, this director. Yeah. And that's just, you know, her feelings of never making it as a star and feeling like it's all unfair, uh, kind of manifesting themselves in her dream. Did she, does she also love the director? Or is that another uh, wish fulfillment that, that he is so in love with her? I, that I think that might be it. Yeah. That, that That's just something in her back pocket that like, oh, you think you love this man, but he really loves me. Right. And he didn't fall in love with Camilla. If, yeah. 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 Like I, this is the, the idealized scenario for her. Uh, but yeah, it's. I mean, it's, 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 it's audacious that you can have the idea for a movie essentially any random time you go up to one of your friends or family members and say, I had the most fucked up dream last night. And then you proceed to tell the person that like it's David Lynch trying to make the most extremely interesting version of that. Like what Mm -hmm. if a person who's actually had a hit on someone that's living this seedy Hollywood lifestyle, uh, what if they had this weird fucked up dream about it and tried to explain to somebody? Yeah. But before they got it out, they committed suicide. <laughs> like, I guess that's what this movie's thesis is. And it, it seems like it's a worthy thesis, but I agree. I don't think it's necessary for me. Cause I didn't, yeah, here's the just, thing I didn't like, I know I stayed up, but it's like more from a professional sense of obligation that like, ah, shit, I got to talk about this movie in like a couple of days. What am I going to do? Not like I yeah. went to bed. Like I cannot stop thinking about this movie. Right. Um, so like if, if you're the type of person that's moved to uncover the mysteries of this movie because, but I didn't feel that like, again, I watched it. I recognized the amazing art in, in two or three instances for what it was, but like, mm-hmm. I didn't really feel like I needed to figure out what is the deal with the troll face and what is the deal with the blue box. And right. because intuitively my gut says there's no answer. Yeah, I mean, when Billy Ray Cyrus starts showing up in your dreams, <laughs> there is no answer. It's time to hire a new subconscious. <laughs> your subconscious central casting sucks. Like, yeah, or maybe it's brilliant because again, if you have to hire some schlub for maximum humiliation for your what your wife leave, you either go Paul Giamatti or you go, uh, you know, a guy who's famous for being a, a dumbass uh, with a famous <laughs> daughter, which he didn't have at that time, I imagine. Uh, yeah, may maybe probably. I think she Miley Cyrus is older than fifteen. Around. Yeah, yeah. She's like what nineteen? No, she's 20? like in her probably like early mid twenties now. Yeah. Good lord, time is flying. We're getting old, is what it is. Yeah, so she must have been like five, five, six. Right. 
Uh, what else do we want to talk about with this movie? So I, I, I did want to say like, I think I said it earlier briefly in passing, but I, I really do like the scene where the woman is singing at Silencio at the club. Did you hear about the torturous backstory of this film? Torturous? So apparently no. that entire club Silencio scene mm-hmm. was something that David Lynch shot years ago as the culmination of a television pilot right. that a he lot was of trying these, to pitch. A lot of these elements came from a TV movie. And, and the executive thing. guys were like, uh, no. no, Twin Peaks is one thing, but this is on a whole other. Like, we don't get it. You can't explain it to us. And he's like, "Fuck yeah. it, fine. I've got, I got a third of the movie in the can, mm-hmm. and someone else paid for it." Mwahaha. Like, I mean, I don't know what to say. Like, what do you say about he had 15 minutes of this movie that feels like a linchpin to it, and it's from a complete. It, it's kind of Ed Wood. Like I've got this scene of charging buffaloes, and I got this scene of a of a octopus, okay. and I'm going to get Bella Lugosi in here to to pull it all together. Uh, it, it comes, you know, like it comes together a little better than an Ed Wood film from from this from like, this little acorn a mighty oak will grow. Like that's uh-huh. what he and he he did it. Yeah, no, it's a weird thing, uh, but I, I think a lot of the stuff going on in this scene, it, you don't you don't understand on the face of it. I mean, you do understand that it's, it's making them consider life and be sad and, and also be awed by the beauty of this song. But I guess like they introduce her as the weeping woman, mm-hmm. which is, is in Mexican folklore called La Llorona, I guess I'm not going to say it with a Mexican accent. Cause I'd just be making an ass of myself. Uh, it's about a woman who drowns her kids her, her two kids as revenge for her husband cheating with a younger woman huh. and then drowns herself. Okay. So it's, I mean, it's directly related to what Diane is experiencing here, right? The jilted lover who then but it also, goes and drowns herself, who not only drowns herself, but kills the, sure, sure. the object of her true affections. Like, and, and the original Orbison song crying is about this person who meets a former lover who is completely over him at this point, And, she doesn't know it, but like she just treats him as like an old acquaintance and he's freshly shattered because he realizes that he's still in love <laughs> with her and she's Mona. So that like works too. But then yeah. there's the complication of they continue the thing of this is all fake because right. she keels over, passes out, dies, is tranquilized, is a whore that's being abused by the cowboy. I, depending on how you drown, probably she drowns. <laughs> and but this the song goes on and then it leads to the blue box, which unravels the whole thing. So is this on right. another subconscious level that is she? So so she's professing to be this in love. And I guess like if you're this in love and you're lovesick that that can, you know, justify a whole bunch of shady shit going back to like Romeo and Juliet suicide packs and all kinds of stuff. Is this her at some level realizing that's all bullshit that she's not really that in love? Like that this, no, this, I this think- emotion is not completely genuine and that's why the singer keels over, but the, the, it's still kind of like a Memorex sort of tape recording of this emotion. I I think this is, I think this is the deepest part of the dream where she begins to wake up. Mm-hmm. Uh, like she, she's hearing the song and the song is stirring in her, the real emotions that she's been feeling in her reality. Um, and, and that kind of shatters the illusion there. And the yeah. blue box comes into frame. That's where she gets the blue key uh-huh. um, to unlock this box, which wakes her up, which is, you know, the horrible thing she's done. Uh, put out the hit on. Well, on and the other Camilla. thing that is interesting is the fact that, um, 
Rita starts looking like Betty. Right. Yeah. And culminates into their love. And like, is that the fact that she was not in love with the real Camilla? She was in love with like some kind of reflection of herself, which is again the whole like that. go into the disingenuousness of the, um, that, uh, Jorando scene, which I think is the best part of the film. And is is probably excuse to watch the the whole film anyway. Mm-hmm. Like that's worth the price of admission. Yeah, no, I I really love that scene. Uh, I I don't know how to read the kind of you know the resemblance that they end up having. Uh huh. But she gets her in essentially what is her hair. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, I've, in the dream, it's no like, idea. so she can stay in hiding because they're sure. getting close to this Nancy Drew type of mystery involving. Um. I looked at it real close, but this corpse, is it supposed, is it, it doesn't look like Naomi Watts, right? No, it doesn't. Uh, but then again, it's a corpse. What sure. would a corpse version of Naomi Watts? So I had a couple theories on the second time. I was like, oh, that dead girl's actually going to be Naomi Watts. And oh, I also bet that that troll face is Naomi Watts heavily made up. No, none of that is true. Right. It doesn't seem right. like it. Yeah, you're right. I, I don't know why that, why she looks different. It's just her, you know, not acknowledging that she's dying. Mm-hmm. Or that she's gonna kill herself, I guess, having some kind of premonition. Yeah, or or actually not premonition because she takes the action, so it's a decision point for her, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's a weird, like I said, you know, we've had Donnie Darko's. We're about to do Primer, which I've actually already seen. Um, it, we talked about Memento. I think we did that as a commission too. Uh, those mm-hmm. are movies that have a definite, like, I think you watch it enough and you can come up with a timeline and it's like, okay, these movies make mechanistic sense. This film, I don't like the, the, the more you try, it's like uh, trying to plot the course of an electron. The more you try to, to narrow down the, 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 the emotions and timelines of one particular part, the more the rest of the movie goes fuzzy on you. Yeah. It's like you really want to run this sexual abuse thing down and try to understand it. Then it's like a lot of the other pieces of the movie won't make sense if you just view it from that angle. And I, like I said, it's it's super ambitious and laudable. And I, but but again, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Like if this is his pinnacle, I can't even imagine. Can we talk about the, the what your impression or understanding of what you call it? The last highway, the lonely highway, the lost blue, highway, the yeah. lost hallway, the lost hallway. Yeah, the lost hallway. Can we talk about the Bill last- Paxton? Sure. <laughs> it's actually Bill and, and, Billy Ray, and Billy Ray Cyrus. Uh-huh. Uh huh. What is that? If so, that's just a vehicle for a lot the of- Smashing Pumpkins' new new album at the time. Are you shitting me? No, it's not. It, oh. One of their newer songs, I think Ava Adore. Or I love Ava Adore. I think Ava Adore was on that album. That's got a sick. It's got a good soundtrack. Lost Highway. Okay, so I saw over and over again from a lot of reviewers and a lot of people talking about how you cannot watch this movie without all the awareness of of his previous work kind of flooding into you. And like, so what does that mean? Like, what elements from and you can like the Coen Brothers. That's true. Right, right. That that yeah, all their films kind of like build upon each other, and mm-hmm. you know, the more I've seen, it's like you know, same thing with the one of the reasons Fargo the television series is so successful is it continues that thing. Yeah, um, for better or worse. What? How does this relate to the Lost Highway? Should I see the Lost Highway? I don't remember much of the Lost Highway. It was very, very esoteric for sure. Um, much more so than this movie, I'd say. Maybe not so much as Blue Velvet. I thought Blue Velvet was just completely and undecipherable to me hmm. um 
I I don't know. I mean, if you that's like this other, movie, that's maybe other go David Lynch film I've seen, The Elephant Man, uh, which is a oh. straightforward piece of huh. like s- historical cinema. Like it's about the life and times of, uh, and I remember seeing that as a very, um, so like in sixth grade we were just, we were assigned these historical figures and you know had a pool and whatnot and I got dealt uh, the Elephant Man, uh, Joseph Merrick. Or maybe John Merrick. I can't remember. There's a there's, uh, but yeah, this guy who suffered from the disease and eventually took his life at a very young age. Um, uh, but as part of my research, I watched the movie. And if my 11, 12 year old self had known as a David Lynch movie, I'd be like, oh god, here it comes. But it's <laughs> it's a very straightforward piece of cinema that tells a very sad story very effectively. So like, when did he? You know, obviously Dune by that time and Twin Peaks, he already had this reputation for kind of a fever dream cinema. Mm-hmm. He didn't start off that way. I wonder what about well, his career made him go off the deep end. So I, I haven't seen Eraserhead. You said you haven't seen, I haven't it, either, seen it right? Either. That was a few years before The Elephant Man. And that, so but Eraserhead is supposed to be fucked up and weird. Is it? Okay. So I guess he started off. Does he see the elephant man as a like, is that his version of a studio picture? I'm going to find the most bizarre twisted real life story and tell it straightforwardly. Might be because I mean, it's Eraserhead, Elephant Man, Dune, Blue Velvet. And, you know, then he does some other stuff, TV series and whatnot. Wild at Heart. I've never seen that. Never heard of that either. Uh, But yeah, he does Twin Peaks in there somewhere. Wait, is Wild at Heart a recent one? No, 1990. Okay, because there's a there's a Nicholas Cage. My God. Oh no, Laura Dern. Yeah, he fell in the cage hole too. Laura Dern. How that turned out? Twin Peaks actresses too. She's a Jurassic Park actress. That was another part of the torturous uh, behind the scenes of this movie is that at some point he conceived this as a as a sequel or companion piece to Twin Peaks. Oh, and I don't know if that's true. Like, that's just what I've read on the internet okay. at two o'clock in the morning. Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah. I've never seen Twin Peaks. A lot of people like it. Some people hate it. Right. Which is to be expected, I guess, of a David Lynch op. I was... So, I remember my mom and dad are crazy about at least season one of Twin Peaks. And I kind of, like, it appealed to this... this um, everybody talking about it and asking, like, what does it mean? And, you know, re- reading, like, TV guide articles that had the, like, here's all the keys. And, like, that kind of captured my imagination. Mm. But I was really too young to appreciate it. Like, I have, like, hardly any any real hard concrete memories. I want to go back and watch it again. That's something I've been threatening to do for a while, but... Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to. I mean, I. I don't like I said. I'm, I'm scared like to invest the time into something that if this is his pinnacle work, and I'm like only able to tangentially appreciate it. Yeah, I'm. I'm in. I. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I. I would say I absolutely hated David Lynch's stuff before seeing Mulholland Drive. I would say now that I just don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um. I I'm not going to go out of my way to see any more David Lynch stuff. Right. Twin Peaks, the new Twin Peaks, and like I I don't care. Right. It's just not for me, and I I get it if it's for you. A lot of people on our forums were talking about it, and they seem to I, really love this stuff. Yeah, I read all of the forums where people were yeah, discussing, and it's too. funny because one of the second thread that I was reading was from a person that's from my perspective. Like they just watched this and they came in like, "What the fuck right. did I just see?" <laughs> The you thread know. was started by somebody who, yes, exactly. who felt that way. Exactly. So. I think, I, I mean, there is no one born of man or woman that has walked out of that theater scene at fir- first time and like, I understand the whole thing. <laughs> right. 
Like, right. I kind of think you're supposed to feel confused, that he wanted you to feel confused. It's like waking from a dream. I mean, walking out of that theater, coming out of that darkened theater is like waking from a dream in, in certain respects. And that seems to be what he wants to evoke in the audience. Yeah. But it's, it's so weird. the raw because emotion of it. The typical movies, the reason you see them again is to, you know, essentially, you know, like with the mementos and, and all that, you see it again to have a hypothesis and test it. And then get right. new did for new, but this like I don't from a narrative perspective, right? Right. Yeah. For this is like I it it's not like that. It's not like that. And the abundance this is like a of interpretations coaster. that you can have in 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 the margins, I think, tells you a lot about that too. That there's not a yeah, you know, like a lot of you know primer and and memento and and uh, inception have kind of like the dominant narrative that everyone kind of agrees on. Or this film, right? Not not so much. Yeah. I don't know what else you want to say about this movie, but I think I'm tapped out. Yeah. Uh, I would say if you are, if you do get into a car accident and you do have a concussion, try not to go to sleep. <laughs> She's right about that. Like, don't crawl under a kitchen table where the actress can clearly see you. She can clearly see that you're under that table. She also slept in bushes. Across the room. She did sleep in bushes, yeah. To, to start things off with. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we could consider some feedback. Sure. We have a smattering of uh, pre-feedback. Let's uh, get into it. Davey Mack says, For me, Mulholland Drive is easily in my top five films of all time. Hmm. I first saw it in college, and at that time, it was the most intense experience I'd ever have watching a film. Do you think that it's possible to uh, for a movie to make your top five after you're 30? Uh, yes, but it certainly gets more difficult. Doesn't it? Yeah, because yeah. it's like, there's a couple movies that it might even be the best of its archetype. I'm not saying anything about Mulholland Drive. This is just a... Uh, Something I've noticed in these pre-feedbacks and stuff that we talk about is it seems like you can have your mind blown in a particular time once. And then uh, once it's been blown, it's like a fuse, you know, what are you going to, you can't replace your brain, at least not yet. Right. Yeah. Once you get exposed to certain ideas, um, to certain experiences, it kind of poisons the well for those experiences later on. <laughs> it would be, it, you know, it would be cool. Maybe this is an a, a idea I can pitch to David Lynch. The idea that you can like MIB style flash your memory, like I want to forget Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. and then go back and rewatch. I want to forget Blue Velvet, <laughs> and it's just I just yeah I don't want that experience. That would be interesting too. That's like Eternal Spotshine of Suns uh, of uh, Eternal Wait Eternal Sunshine sure. and Spotless Mind. Uh, I'm going more for like wouldn't it be cool to do an experiment to like you watch all of Breaking Bad and blows your mind. You you flash yourself and you watch it again. Do you have the same reaction to it? Uh, how, how long are we talking about? That would be another interesting variable for David Lynch to play with. Like, like just back to back, you, 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 uh, consume, you binge it for for a month and then you flash it and you binge it again. And then you see like, I, I mean, I think you'd have almost the same reaction. Yeah. In a month you'd have about the same reaction. Now, 10 years, five, yeah, five, 10 years. That's where I think it's a big, a big difference. Cause like we talked about this before in one of our podcasts, how, we said if you could erase your memory of either Star Wars or Star Trek and go back and watch it again for the first time, which would you choose? Shit, I, I, I remember that conversation. I don't remember what I said. We both chose Star Trek Next Generation or Star Trek because like we were watching Next Generation as kids and we think that holds up better as adults. Uh, like the, the ideas in it are more right. interesting than the ideas in Star Wars because Star Wars is more of an adventure movie. And, right. and you know, you want to you want to experience that with kids eyes. But Star Trek might be better with adult eyes. Right. Uh, now, I mean, you know, you're going to have 
20 years of television in between there. And so maybe Star Trek looks like a piece of shit uh, now as opposed to, you know, 2000. Although, you know, I was just just before coincidentally, just before I came over here, I was watching the Beeb. Uh, because it, it it has reruns Star you mean Trek: The Next Generation. Justin Bieber, no, nah, the the BBC. <laughs> oh, okay. and and they're they're airing their finest content, which is reruns of American. Uh, uh, <laughs> All right, yeah, uh, American television, uh-huh. uh, syndicated television. I don't think that's controversial, right? That's the best thing that the BBC has, right? That's not going to make any people angry. Easily, no. no there's it's some gonna, doctor it's not show on the rekindle national yeah. rivalries or anything like that. It's it's fairly non-controversial <laughs> to say that the only thing worth watching the BBC <laughs> is Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh, but they had like an early season two episode that I'm like, oh Jesus, one of those. But it was about the fucking admiral that goes back and gets his like youth clock reset so he can go and and I'm like I got really wrapped up into it. Do you remember that clock? Yeah, he's like it's this crippled guy in a wheelchair and he's old as shit and and one of his old uh, diplomatic rivals from a planet where he did some weird Iran Contra shit calls him back and and this guy goes and does an illegal anti aging thing and it turns him back into like essentially a twenty year old man. Right, I do remember that. Okay, but it's like way better than I even remembered it. Probably because I, you know, when I saw it when I was 12, I didn't identify with an old man de-aging and, like, ancient rivalries and political intrigue. And so, yeah. Anyway. For me, with David Lynch's stuff, it'd be more of a Clockwork Orange scenario where I, I my memory is erased and I just have to experience the horror over and over. <laughs> I would love to see a, this. If, if I could experiment on you, mm-hmm. I would flash Mulholland Drive and every year from here on forward, I'd make you watch it again. Until I like it. Yeah, yeah. Like a Groundhog Day Yeah, sort I would of find thing. the right, I'd play with the experiences you had before <laughs> and after, what was going on, uh-huh. like, is it a dark room with no distractions, brightly lit, like, until I finally got the part where you're like, yeah, oh, wow, Mind blown. I think psychedelics would have to be involved for me to that could truly be a variable appreciate this movie that I or David Lynch could employ into making this documentary. Uh, we've gone far af- afield of Davy Max. Uh, yeah, it'd be like here. a Linklater thing, right? Ah, yeah, yeah. It'd just be called David Lynch: A Linklater Experience, a life lived <laughs> Lynch. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a life, a life well lynched. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yep anyway uh yes this all sprung from your intense experience you had watching it in college uh, get, uh so let's see if i can get past another sentence without interjecting my shit uh, most people probably wouldn't consider a horror film lynch included but i find huh. it far more far more unsettling and uncomfortable than any horror film i've seen uh, the ending still gives me goosebumps every time i watch it the first time i saw it i had no idea what i'd just seen and yet I knew that I loved it on some level and had to watch it again. I've since seen it several times and I still have trouble pinning it down. Hmm. I'm sure there's tons of literature online, quote unquote, explaining it all. And I do think there's right. some stuff that can be definitively explained. But I also think on some level, it'll always remain mysterious and elusive. Thank God just, you said just that. Just like a dream. Because, yeah. 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 It, it, it really does feel like a dream. I mean, both the experience of having a dream and the experience of waking from a dream. Hmm. Uh, so, I mean, that's what he's going for. And I think he nailed it. I, it's just not my thing. This horror film comment he makes kind of resonates with me because the first reveal of the troll monster behind right. the Denny's gave me that hair on the back of my neck experience that I've really only get watching conjuring films or like really scary stuff because they're shooting like a horror film, but the whole mm-hmm. time I'm like, well, this isn't a horror film. So, Oh my God, there's a monster. Right. Um, and it's like a really ambiguous monster. So it's mm-hmm. like, it took it, it. There was several seconds of like, oh, it's a phase. No, it's a. It, I don't know. I, I thought it was pretty effective, and it came out of nowhere. 
kind of like the lesbian scene. Like, I was not ready. Yeah. I was not ready to be aroused at that point in the film. <laughs> Lynch doesn't care. <laughs> he, he does. Yeah. I want to make you feel ready. Everything. Yeah. Uh, some scenes, Davey Matt continues, I want to highlight as standouts are the scene of the guy describing his dream at Winkies, which I found super unnerving. The audience scene, amazing at showing just how powerful a bad script can become, given the right kind of performance. And Club Silencio scene, maybe one of my favorite of all time. There are so many other standouts, but these are the three that immediately came to mind. Uh, lastly, there's a couple of interesting quotes from a Lynch interview on my Japanese copy of the film, in which he talks about the theme and why he avoids explaining his views of the film to people who ask. Japanese copy of, I, I don't know, Davey Mag might, because I know we have some American expats living in Japan and Singapore and other places mm-hmm. in the Far East, yeah. but that's a weird tidbit to throw in there. I think he might be in Tokyo. I think, oh, I think when we, I see him on the forums, we got a Christmas card from him. Uh, maybe okay. we got three from Japan. I think maybe that's that's starting to fire some snapses. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the Lynch quote was some films maybe have a theme, but even if it has a theme, it might be a different theme for people who see it. It's so it's better to not let people conjure or it's better to let people conjure up their own ideas, having seen and experienced the film. It's a lot like music. Music, they say, has an abstraction. It's very far away from words. And film is a thing that people, they want to have an easy understanding of. Whereas with music, they don't have that problem. There's not an intellectual thing going on. It's just an experience. But right. film has those same elements of just experience. Plus, film can say abstractions that can be uh, intuited. So you use your intuition and then have an understanding that comes from inside you. And I think people should trust the understanding that comes from their experience. Uh, now, it might be hard to take what's inside of you and tell your friend in words what that is. It's a dream sometimes. It's like a dream sometimes. You tell your friend the dream and they see, and you can see in the face that they don't understand. The words fail you, but you still know inside. It's not that difficult to understand if you trust your inner feeling. Yeah, I. we've talked a little bit about how I have this love-hate relationship in the modern area of television where the showrunner comes in after a season and tells you how it really was. Mm-hmm. Um, and some showrunners, I think, are better about giving into that impulse uh, and others are worse. But it is frustrating because at the end of the day, I feel like once the TV goes off and you're done with your watch, you have all the information you need to think about what the thing's about. You like, should. Yeah. yeah. And if and if not, if the other guy's saying, oh, that conclusion you drew from my work is wrong, I really meant this. You know, I know this is something we fought about, but. I fought that's such a bullshit argument to me. And I like how Lynch is just like, I'm leaning into that. I'm not giving you anything. I'm doing something intentionally that can mean a lot of things, to a lot of people in a lot of circumstances and deal with it. Right. I mean, I feel less like Lynch is trying to uh, tell a story here as he, than he is just trying to create art and you know, that's, that's fine. It's just not, not something I really come to TV for. Right. Uh, Michael Turlew, uh, my name is, and actually it could be Michelle. Um, my name is Michael Turlew. It's a Dutch name. It'll be difficult for you to pronounce. Sorry. As a get out of jail free card, just call me Mike. Well, shit. <laughs> I wish I had just done that. Uh, one question in the comment. I hope you have time to consider during the second season of leftovers. There was the awesome episode called international assassin. Sure. Uh, and due to the nature of this this comparison it's not really spoilery because you're not going to know what the fuck um you know is going on and you'll forget this by the time you you slog through the leftovers anyway so uh that's my guarantee if it makes you uncomfortable skip forward about a minute uh 
I know as many analogies with Mulholland Drive. You have the mixing of various movie styles from the past era, surreal storytelling and mindfuckery, what is real, people switching roles, i.e. Holy Wayne is suddenly Patty's head of security, an emotional performance on stage, which also announces some kind of exit for the main character, an internal st- struggle between good and bad, and the quote from Patty that there's a power to that silence, uh, with silencio being the very last word spoken in Mulholland Drive. Mm-hmm. I know many people say International Assassin pays homage to The Sopranos, but to me, I remember when watching it, I had a much more, I got a much more David Lynch vibe to it. Can we talk? So you've seen The Sopranos. I have not. Do you know? To me, like this email made perfect sense because I even think like the lighting choices, like it, it definitely felt like it was a little bit inspired or, you know, benefits from the comparison to the Mulholland Drive. Do you think it's a stronger comparison or do you think the Sopranos is a stronger comparison? Um, I think probably leftovers is more of a, uh, more of an apt comparison. Uh, I, well, no, no, no. Why do people is, is the leftovers episode of international assassin more in common with the, the far out episodes of Sopranos, which I understand they have dreams or oh, fish right, and shit like right. that. Or is it more comparison to Mulholland drive? Or do you? I mean, are how's you that uninterested even, in? I'm I'm totally uninterested in that because <laughs> whatever. I mean, it's it's its own thing. Like, yeah. maybe there's an homage here or there, but ultimately, it's saying whatever it's going to say. It's not trying to say the same thing as Sopranos or the mm. same thing as Mahal and Drive. Like, I I don't know. I mean, comparisons are certainly there. Parallels can be drawn, but yeah, I see I, it, and I you know I I haven't seen Sopranos, so I can't go any further into that. Um, he also says, I think to truly enjoy the movie, it's best to try to understand the broad strokes of the film and the movie's structure. Oh, wait a second. I'm, I, I skipped ahead too much. Uh, I think people go too far in Mike says in trying to find a logical explanation for each and every piece of dialogue or symbolism. For example, people start counting how many times the cowboy shows up in a movie as if it really matters. Mm-hmm. I think to truly enjoy the movie, it's best to just understand the broad strokes of the plot and the movie structure. Don't overanalyze it. This movie is about how much it makes you feel. Uh, he's got another right. quote. I, I agree with him there. Yeah, and I also think that, like I said, this does feel fundamentally different from a Donnie Darko or a Memento in that there, there, there's just a lot of plot where mechanics start not being so important. It's more about the vibe. Yeah. And it's a dream, so it's all kind of unreliable anyway. Uh, parting quote from Lynch, and then I think this is the end of the feedback, yes. Even if you get the whole thing, there'd still be some abstract elements that you'd have to kind of feel think. You'd have to say, I kind of understand it, but I don't know exactly what it is. The frames are always the same on the film. It's always the same length. The same soundtrack is always running it. But the experience in the room changes depending on the audience. There's another reason why people shouldn't be too told too much, because knowing putrefies that experience. Mm. Interesting quote. Very David Lynchian. Putrefies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> gets ripe. Gets rotted. All right. Decayed. Uh, let me get the thesaurus out. So there. There's the, the feedback we got on a very trippy movie. Uh, again, special thanks go out to Anthony B., Mike T., Davey Mack, Ryan Q., Rachel H., Galicia, Fidos, Jefferson B., Hello, Goodbye, Nine, Coco 2MC, Martin K., Michael T., Joby M., Walker W. Uh, that's, you know, one of the more 
well round. I mean, that, that's a lot of people coming together. This is uh, a mm-hmm. fairly um, popular group effort that was made. So thank yeah, you again. I, I think it's a fairly popular movie. You know, yeah. I, like I know some of the quotes I read were saying like Lynch had to make this list of 10 things that inform how you view the movie right. because the French company that made it was like losing money hand over fist on this thing. And it was just floundering in the box office, which I get. Um, yeah. It's not really a blockbuster type movie. No. Uh, but I feel like the vast majority of people who have responded about this thing are positive on it. Yeah. Like come away thinking either it's one of the best things they've ever seen or there are certainly a lot of merits to it. And I, I, I've probably fallen in that camp. Like I think this is an interesting movie, much more interesting than some of his other stuff. I would have loved to seen it back in the day because to me i think yeah. and or even it'd been interesting to see it two years ago before i seen the leftovers because i think the leftovers for me scratches a lot of these itches in a much more hmm. personal uh you know a, a, a personal gut punch kind of way right uh but no i i enjoyed it and it's also one of those things like some of these david lynch things i feel like to be a well-rounded you know, pop culture person, you got a deeper toe in the water and I just really haven't. So I, I, I appreciate that's one of the things I appreciate most about these commission podcasts is I feel like it, it rounds me out because if not, I'd stay safe in my little fantasy sci-fi uh, greedy crime drama hole and I'd never get out and see some of this stuff. So, right. Uh, thanks again. If you'd like to commission your very own podcast, as I mentioned, you go to baldmove.com slash shop. Uh, click on the big film canister and there is a bunch of options of community commissions uh, or you can also just uh, grab the first option and commission your very own podcast. Uh, if you did like this podcast, maybe stop by in the forum. I'm sure it'll be a thread on Mulholland Drive and thank some of the thank the people to commission it because they're the ones that made it happen. Uh, thanks again. And we'll be back with another one in the future in a dreamlike state. Until then, I'm Aaron. I'm Jim. See ya.